Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back. It's the Masters of Modern Podcast here on Collected.Company. I am your host, Ben Bateman. I know, it's the rare occasion you guys get to hear my voice, not Alex's, to start the show. But Alex has just gone off to Hong Kong to go do his thing. So I'm here. We have a very special guest returning to the show. We have Mistel. Mistel, you're a mystic. Mr. Michael Grothy back on the show. Hi, everyone. What's going on, man? Uh, It's going well. Michael, uh, if you guys don't remember, was on before the GP talking about the metagame and the deck he was talking about playing because he went, so did I. Uh, neither of us fared particularly well, but we're going to tell you all about that, so don't you worry. <laughs> uh, but Michael also works here developing games at Kesco, where I also work, and uh, we are here uh, you know, finishing out the day and uh, talking about magic, so we wanted to come at you. So before Best we... way to finish out any day. Yes. Uh, before we get into the episode and all of the things involved, uh, I want to let everybody know we are on Twitter, at the MMCast. That's where you can find the podcast. Uh, we have a Facebook group the Masters of Modern Facebook group across 3,000 people last week. So it just keeps chugging away. Crazy, crazy number of people. Um, also, you can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media. Are you uh, in the in the Twitter category or are you a creature of the night? Mm, I am a creature of the night. Aha, yes. I know you well, you creatures of the night. Uh, you can find us on Collected.Company alongside the Command Zone. That's Josh and Jimmy. They do Commander content. They also have a show called Game Nights. It's really awesome. Uh, that's great. Uh, we have a game out. Kesco has a game out called Super Party Battle. You guys should check that out. It's on ThinkGeek.com right now. It's for sale. It is the first game designed by Alex. You worked on that game with Alex, correct? I did. And uh, yeah, if you love the Masters of Modern and you enjoy the stuff we talk about and our sensibilities, you probably enjoy the game. It's like King's Cup meets Magic. It's pretty sweet. Yep. And last but not least, guys, uh, if you want to donate to Patreon to help us out, that's how we bought this recorder. It is incredibly helpful, endlessly helpful for you guys to help us out that way. If you ever want to contribute to the show, that is easily the best way to do it. Even donate a buck. And I'll say your name in my stupid fatal voice from the old web series we did. And the final one, and it's content related, is you guys should check out Anchor. Anchor.fm. So it's like Twitter meets podcasting. I do the official station every single day of the Masters of Modern podcast. You get daily content talking about modern. About once a week, I go back and I turn all the episodes into old podcasts so you can find them all in the iTunes store. But if you have a, a phone that can, is compatible with Anchor, download Anchor.fm. Find 10 Minutes of Modern. It's a free station. We just gave away like $400 in modern staples uh, to listeners of the show. And uh, I'm going to be talking a lot in the next couple days about this stupid uh, Pact of Negation Delver Glorious End deck that I'm working on that I think is really bad, but super fun. And you'll probably hear a little bit about it on the show today. All right. That took two minutes and 45 seconds. Let's get into the episode. How was your GP? My GP was not great. Um, I was playing Jeskai Geist. Um, I thought that it was a good choice because after the GP before Santa Clara that was modern, uh, we saw a lot of big mana decks in the top eight and graveyard decks. Um, And so I was thinking that people would be looking to go fast to try and beat those decks um, with stuff like Affinity, Burn, things like that. So I'm I'm playing a deck uh, that can try and clock the big mana decks using Geist uh, while also maintaining a good matchup against the fast decks using, you know, four Lightning Helix, four Lightning Bolt, four Path. Um, Playing Helix in the main deck's a nice hedge against Burn. Just, it is, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was happy with my deck choice. Uh, unfortunately, my performance at the GP uh, did not reflect that. Uh, I did play against Affinity, which I was hoping to play against. Yep. 
but they uh, were on the play in game one and basically dumped their entire hand on me, and it's not easy to beat that. And then I was on the play game two, so I won. I was on the draw game three, so I lost again. <laughs> yeah. I know all about that. Um, I, I think uh, as well as talking about what's happened here, I'm going to you know queue up for you guys the first, the first recap of uh, what happened in the tournament. I'll play that for you guys now. You'll hear it. And uh, I'm not going to listen to it now because it'll just depress me. But uh, <laughs> on the show, we'll just talk post that. I'm fairly certain it talks about uh, the fact that the deck I played, this Loam deck, this mm-hmm. retrace spell deck, which I had tested probably 15, 16 games against Affinity. I mean, I had really gone the distance pre and post board um and i won like 94 percent of them or something like that i i mean it was crazy my win rate against affinity is like it's almost unlosable for that deck it's you're playing main deck like flame jab and you're playing yeah. main deck dark blast and you're playing like terminates and is very good against them Colagon's command main deck and you just have so many things you're playing three ghost quarters and loam in the main deck it's so hard for them to beat you but I, I lost to an Affinity player as yeah, our first match there. of the day, which was, like, astounding. I couldn't believe it. I It was one of those deals where I kept a hand that was, if I recall, like, four land, and I had, like, one of my two drop creatures, the enablers. I had a life from the loam, and I had a faithless looting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I, I don't have a piece it's of fine. disruption, yeah. but against most decks, I can trigger my loam, I can get the engine going, I'm going to see extra cards. You find what you need, yeah. Yeah, I, like... And I saw an Inquisition in my first couple cards, and I played it, and I got rid of a plating, but he had a second plating, and I just didn't get there. That's why Affinity is such a powerful deck. I mean, we have these, we're both playing decks that have, you know, theoretically great Affinity matchups, but sometimes their deck is just so good, you, you just can't beat it. Yeah, it's really fast. So um, that was a really hard way for my tournament to start. It totally tilted me. What, that was a burp, sorry guys. Um, what I didn't anticipate, and what really sucked was that my deck was awful. <laughs> it was horrible. It was not a good deck at all. It seemed awesome in theory, and there was like... It was one of those things where I think if a couple things had broken the right way, it could have been a 500 deck. It could have like got me there in enough games, but I just kept getting the unlucky break at the worst moment. And I played Affinity two more times in day one, and I beat it both times, 2 owed both. It's good. Uh, I should have 2-0'd my first opponents. I wonder a little bit how my day would have gone if that had happened. If I had won the first match, you know, obviously I wouldn't have played the same two people later, but I just wonder if my confidence and faith in the deck would have been higher. Yeah. Because I know that... It matters. I, yeah. In a long it, tournament. It d- definitely does. It definitely does. And I'm not I'm not one to tilt usually. Um, I've taken a lot of brews to a lot of tournaments. Yep. And I... This felt like the worst brew I've ever taken. Um, that's, really? It just felt helpless against the what... The good decks in modern were doing so like what what did you play against that you felt so helpless against um so like i played against affinity first if i recall my second matchup was against blue white control that uh, can be tough yeah yeah and they were playing the, the good like the version that vd top forward with very yep. similar deck and i got i, I got him uh, it was game one and I ulted a Liliana against him. <laughs> That's good. Which was sweet. And I it totally felt like I had it. I had uh, Siphon Life, which is one of the, late, the last cards I added to the deck as a one of. Mm-hmm. For those that and don't it's remember. very hard for them to interact with. Yeah, yeah. It's black, black, one. Um, target player loses two life. You gain two life. And it has retrace. So in my deck, that's really good against them. It's, it was in there as a hedge against burn. I wanted to have that in my main deck so that I could have a chance to grind them out. Um, and I ulted Liliana... And, you know, I played this, 
but it just didn't get me there. It, it got... So, oh God, I was so close. I ulted Liliana. He kept three lands. He had a fourth land and then a fifth land, and then he played Gideon. Mm. And it was like... He had zero cards left. He was dead on board. I passed the turn. He top decks a card. It's Sphinx's Revelation. Oh, boy. He Sphinx's Rev for four. He draws three counter spells out of his four cards and gains four life, which allows him the flexibility to both counter retrace, counter loam, uh, and have a backup counter for my, my last attempt to retrace the, the uh, spell again, which Jeez. wouldn't have gotten in there anyway. On top of which, he had just enough life to to outlast like the one instance that I had left of it. But with, you know, and like, so I think he died. He's at two, and I die. And it was just like it's demoralizing. Yeah, and that was game one. And then he and then he beat me in game two after board because bringing grave hate. Yeah, I mean, which is which was I knew that was going to be a problem. I, I was positive, and it was. Um, so that sucked. And then I think round three was against like burn probably i think i lost to burn it was just faster than i could get there yeah your deck is like fairly similar with a better late game but you have to survive the early game and it's going to be tough against them yeah if i don't get the you know if i don't get the siphon life plan or something like that going i even brutality it was just one of those days it was like i got i felt like i got what i needed in a lot of cases and it just didn't get there so i think yeah. the deck's bad that's why i think that's the worst brew i've ever taken um, so yeah, I, I played Affinity twice more. I played Scape Shift. I played Merfolk, and I played Burn again. Those were my eight matches, and I won the two Affinity matches. That was it. I went two of eight. My yeah. teammates, on the other hand, did quite well. You guys are probably going to listen to this, Ryan. I'm assuming you will listen to this, uh, and some of our clips that we recorded, I'll, I'll play on here. But I wish I could honor you more by playing more of your clips because you had such a great day. If you are listening to this, my so my teammate Ryan Sconard, who was. Um, previously my teammate in san antonio with steve st Clair, we ran a contest you remember where we oh uh, yes yes i do remember yeah we ran a contest where we had and we picked randomly two listeners to be on a team with me for team unified modern which was a great time in texas and it was just great um i that was when i played texas forever the uh the, the greater Gargadon, like, steel oh, yeah, things nice. deck. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I like that, uh, you know, like, I feel like Team Unified Modern, you get to be much closer to your team. I mean, it was like, I was testing with my team for this GP, yeah, but yeah. It, it feels like, you know, you really should be testing separately. Yeah, I mean, you're not, yeah, so totally. So so Ryan was on my team, and then my good friend Eric Wydetz, who created Highlander Roulette, um, he was the legacy player. Yep. Ryan, I'm not kidding, and you guys will hear this. We talk about it all throughout the, the cast. Um, played seven mirror matches in standard. He, he That's played, standard, yeah. I think everybody did. He played eight matches. One of them was against like the blue-white deck, and the rest of them were all team or energy. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, that's... But he, he you know, intentionally drew two matches to, for us to get like a win, a match win, I think. And so he, went, he ended up going 5-1-2. Uh, five, five, it's not bad. Yeah, he had a really good day. I honestly, especially think he gone. I mean, you know, being able to beat those mirror matches. It's not like he had good matchups or anything. He was no. just able to, you know, outplay his opponents in the mirror match. He's a good player. I think. I honestly think he could have gone seven one. Um, so, but Eric and I both o three the first three matches. Yeah. <laughs> so it just it just was one of those days. It sucked. Uh, it, it's it's not easy to dig yourself out of that when you so quickly or out of the tournament and you've brought, you've brought something you were excited about. It becomes very difficult to be excited about the rest of the day. Yeah. The highlight was definitely the stake at the end of the night, not anything to do with the tournament. Yeah. So, yeah. And here we are guys. Same echoey hallway, same sunny Santa Clara. It's the end of the day. We've played eight rounds. Um, we, did we lose that round officially? I think, right. Cause I lost, I got up to go watch what was going on in the other 
You don't. You lost. Oh, you won, but you lost. Okay, my so. streak is broken. So you almost didn't lose any any matches today. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Two uh, two draws, uh, five wins, and then this was my first actual loss. Wow. So if you were playing like an eight round PPTQ, that record would get you top eight for sure. That's like that's like a legit record. Like five five one five one two. I think that's like if you're in five one and it's the right. Maybe maybe that's not true. If it's the right size PPTQ, I feel like you just like double draw into the top eight, right? Yeah, I think so. That was- that sounds like a pretty darn good record. Um, Eric, you said you won your last five matches, right? Yeah, you know, the day started off really slow. I had a couple of tough matchups, but my first three Against rounds, good players? <laughs> yes, yes. The, uh, the first three rounds, uh, definitely, um, I, I'm not a legacy player. I've actually only played legacy once, and it was another Star City Games legacy tournament, which I top-aided with a mud deck. So I felt comfortable playing this deck. But if you haven't played it for a while and you're not super familiar with the metagame, it always takes you a little while to get your sea legs. So after three rounds of playing it, I felt very comfortable with the mulligans and what to do and what to keep and how to play around a lot of the counter magic and things that were happening in the format. So last five rounds just went straight wins. How to take advantage of your opponent getting up to go get a bowl of Cheerios in the middle of the match or something like that. <laughs> Those kids were great. Yeah, I mean, like, we were, we were very appreciative of the fact that they were young and rambunctious and we were here for casual fun magic. Yeah, it was, it was excellent. Um, so your eighth round, Ryan, who, what did you play against? It was another mirror match, no, naturally. Of you, course. you played seven mirror matches today? Seven. Actually, seven. Seven mirror matches. I mean, not counting some of them had black, some of them didn't, but yeah, it's pretty much all the same. In, in standard right now, would you care? How many like, actual decks would you characterize there are right now? It's, it seems like this is the deck. There's, there's the Remnop Red deck. What else is even in standard? Uh, Gift, there's, uh, there's uh, the Electrostatic Pummeler deck, if you consider that separate from energy. It's a lot of overlap. And there's the Control deck that uses Approach of the Second Sun. Huh. And my understanding so far is, like, coming into this, uh, my, my thought was, like, Team Energy is alone in Tier 1, but there's a, a good number of stuff you can do in Tier 2. So if you want to have fun in the format, there are other deck choices that are reasonable. But just the amount of energy running around today is unreal. I, I don't know if it's because there are people like me who jumped into the format only because there was a team that they wanted to be on. And, you know, Team Rare Energy is like a very safe uh, choice for someone who's like, just play the best deck. You know, don't try to be creative. You don't have a knowledge of this metagame. And this is clearly, you know, the, the one that's going to give you the most advantage. I have to say that in my time playing competitive magic and talking about competitive magic, I don't know that I've ever heard of somebody playing seven out of eight mirror matches in a day. I've, that's, that's unheard of, right? I think the last time I heard there was a field that had this much was when Aldrazi was first hitting the with reality smashers and mimics right uh, right before they banned everything because it was just basically made up the entire field you're talking about that that pro tour when they broke it yeah yeah it was like seven of the de- top eight decks were all the eldrazi yeah i mean that's probably that's a good point that's that's like a recent real top tier uh breakthrough for a deck so uh what was your final match eric uh my final match was versus yet again four color control oh, sweet. i, I f- faced lots of death right shamans uh you know a lot of Baleful Strix, uh, some Planeswalkers, things like that. But most of, the, most of it is just basically removal and counterspells and Snapcaster Mages. So, you know, Culligan's Command is particularly good against me, and snapping back a Culligan's Command is even better. Um, but I, I played pretty much the same type of decks for the last half of the tournament. 
You know, um, I got up while you guys were finishing your match because Burn absolutely just destroyed me. It's another, it's like, my, my, this is just proof of how bad my deck is because I actually have no shot against certain decks in Modern, like no shot whatsoever. Maybe my board was built badly, I don't know, but uh, Burn is just another one that I'm just, just not going to happen. But uh, I got up because I got beaten very fast, and I went over to our buddies' tables, and uh, they won, so they're day two'd. But uh, I walked up, and the second game was going on, uh, the one that was the second game that was won, and while it was happening, our friend Nate, who is notoriously slow, he's a pro player, Player. He's very good at magic, but he is the most meticulous, slowest player on earth. He's sitting there arguing with the judge because he looks at his opponent. He's playing sneak and show. He says he's at 15. He says to his opponent, draw seven off uh, Gristlebrand. So, okay. Draw seven more. And then his opponent goes, okay. Reaches, marks the life total. Nate puts his hand on his deck. Doesn't draw the cards. Doesn't mark his life total. Looks at his opponent says, wait, is your Deathrite Shaman active? And his opponent says, yes. He goes, okay, I don't draw seven then. And the opponent's like, you just said you were going to draw seven. You just and he goes no no I didn't draw seven though he goes you just said you were gonna draw seven I marked your life total he goes he's like you're only doing it because you know I'm gonna kill you with deathrite shaman you're just changed your mind you can't do that they call a judge argue for twenty minutes and then the in the in the course of time they're arguing because Nate won't let this go they, he calls four different sets of judges uh, head judge. he, all, all of them the head judge. all the way to the head judge. Um, <laughs> his opponent wins as the second game of the match, and it's null and void. And his, the guy that he's arguing with is so frustrated at this point. He's just like, looks over to last day. He's like, your teammates won. I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Nate. <laughs> but, I mean, this is the guy who's Knight's Whisper when he's at two. Yes, or a, lightning bolted, a Frexian obliterator, and in a pro tour played two Kadam of the North Trees at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, tends to, he tends to make some boneheaded mistakes, but he's a very good Magic card player. So uh, it was fun to go over and check that out. Here's some people walking by one second, guys. All right, we're back. So um, I would say that overall today, let, let, let's share it for a minute each, just kind of opinion on your deck, opinion on the format you played. And I'll, I'll jump in first here because I think you guys know pretty well. Um, I, I really enjoyed the interactions in my deck when it was working. It was awesome. The, the things that it does well are really cool. And uh, it's unique, but it doesn't really have a strong enough engine right now to get there. Um, and it's too susceptible to disruption from too much of the format to really feel like it's any an idea that I would revisit again. Um, modern, though, on the whole, based on what I was playing, is very healthy. It's in a great place. It has the same pro- it has the same problem that it's had for a long time, which is that uh, it's. You can't sideboard for everything, so you are super, super aggressive with your sideboard options, and then you end up in a situation where there's just like nothing you can really do about it. Um, those are my those are my takes. You know, some some matches are going to be better than others. On the whole, I really enjoyed the format. I, I love modern, and and you know, getting to play this much high level modern is really special. And so I'm I'm glad we came. Um, you know, that's kind of my thoughts. Eric, what do you think about Legacy? How's your day? What feedback on it? What do you think? I had just a blast. Like like I said, I'm not a Legacy player, but I just I love this deck so much that I pretty much jump at the opportunity to play it when I when something like this happens. Um, lots of fun, fun interactions. I think that the only kind of doldrums of the day was playing Dredge. And Dredge is just so non-interactive. You sit there and watch your opponent do something for 15 minutes, and then you lay a land past the turn, and then they kill you. And it's, it's a little frustrating that you just don't get to actually play your cards, although it's a little bit of karmic justice because when I play, you know, turn one, Chalice on zero, and Chalice on one, and then turn two, Chalice on two, I can imagine my opponent's frustrations not being able to play 95% of the cards in their deck. Um, but... I had some really cool, fun times with Infinite Loops. I Blightsteel Colossus stuff uh, people a lot during the day. Um, I finished the overall day with a 5-3 th- a record, 
which is way better than I thought I would do with a probably tier six deck and no playtesting and not a whole lot of experience. But I got to tell you, it was just a ton of great fun. Would you play this deck again? Absolutely. And you're back. You'll play another Legacy event if they come around. Yeah, like I said, I came in here and I was here to have fun and that's exactly what I did. So I think it's great. Well, thank you for uh, sharing your experience. Ryan, what is your what is your reaction to your final match and also to having played seven mirror matches in standard? Well, you know, it's uh, it, it's fun to laugh about the state of the metagame, but the truth is I actually did have a lot of fun. Uh, as it happens, this deck suits my playstyle pretty well. Uh, you know, I, I like the uh, the efficient engine cards. I like the, uh, you know, individually powerful cards. I tend to think of myself as a spiky kind of player, but the truth is I've got a wide teamy streak, so just slamming those Planeswalkers and, and Dragons... Uh, that, that's an entertaining day for me. Yeah, it's, I mean, it looks like a sweet deck. It's, it's powerful. I think we've talked about, as a big modern fan, uh, at the end of the day, uh, do you have any more thoughts on you know, what will happen to make this a modern playable deck? Do you think it's going to happen soon? Do you think that, as Mero said, they need to print more cards? Or do you think there's a version of this that you could just, I don't know, replace 12, replace 12 cards with modern staple interaction pieces and it would just be good enough? My opinion is that it's probably not going to get there yet. I mean, the energy parts in particular, uh, the payoffs just aren't really as efficient as the cards that are already seeing play in, in modern as far as like having large difficult to interact with creatures and having removal you know, in the form of harness lightning. Uh, some of the... Uh some of the other, well, and, and just to, to talk about Glorybringer again, because it's been so much on my mind, I believe that card has seen a little bit of modern play. Yeah. And at five, you know, that's a high bar to clear, but it, it is just a, a very a very efficient thing. And I, I think there are mid-range decks that uh, we can really use that as a one-off. I, I think we're going to kind of perennially see that uh, in and out of a few archetypes from now on. It does seem to be what happens kind of to standard, right? Like, it, or to modern. It makes note of these standard powerhouses and it's reluctant to use them at first. And then you'll see a one of in somebody's sideboard. You'll see a, you know, a two of. And then all of a sudden, somebody builds the deck with it as a three of or a four of and it just becomes a staple. And I think there's, some, there's just a few cards right now in standard, Glorybringer being one of them. I don't know it'll be a four of, but I could definitely see that card beginning to pop up as a little bit more of a prominent role player, even in a deck like Jones, just because it costs five. It can't be killed by uh, Decay. It can't be killed by Push uh, or Bolt. It's, it's, it's good. It seems like a powerful card and i could see more of it yeah and i would keep an eye on uh, ether hub as well just because it, it's a it's a five color mana source and i i think i like anecdotally seen oh, it's like a tendo ice bridge a few times before yeah. which is like a charge kind of ether hub is like nearly strictly better than that uh and if you can pair it with like hey if your deck wants like a three drop three power cantrip then that just makes your ether hubs better I only think it would take a, a few more uh, things before we saw, like, maybe not even a deck that, uh, you know, uses energy throughout, but maybe it has just, like, a couple of key interactions, like Rogue Refiner powering up one other thing, and that can just be good on its own. Fair enough. Uh, gentlemen, I appreciate you talking and hanging with me all day and uh, kind of doing this whole thing. Uh, I wish that, obviously, you know, we could have had a slightly stronger showing on the whole. Ryan, congratulations to having an excellent day. Uh, again, was it you or Steve that had such a good day in San Antonio? Oh, yeah, I was thinking about that, actually. It was Steve. I, my record in San Antonio was, like, uh, middling, like, about, like, four of the nine rounds, I think. I think you were, like, five and four. I was four and five, or maybe the other way around. I can't remember which. And then he was, like, seven and two, maybe. Somewhere around that, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I was glad to, to be able to put up those results for the team. Yeah, so, uh, and, and Eric, we, we got your, uh, your feedback on it. So, again, thanks for the contribution, putting together, you know, a deck of very expensive cards that were hard to get a hold of. And, uh, guys, thanks for being patient with my nonsense that I like to play. I'll keep doing it for you. I'll keep coming up with ideas. This one will probably never see the light of day again. But uh, the next, you can guarantee the next GP I will not be playing some Tier 1 deck. I will be playing a Tier Ben deck. So uh, that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for listening and always supporting the show, guys. We'll, uh, 
we'll talk to you soon unless you guys want to add anything else. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I did just want to say, uh, you know, how grateful I am to have had this opportunity. You know, it was I, I was lucky enough to get to do, do this in San Antonio. And, uh, you know, the fact that uh, time and space kind of aligned with this Grand Prix being here near where I live, it's, you know, fortunate, verging on surreal. And I also think it really demonstrates how cool it is that, you know, magic is kind of a small world. And there are these people that you think of as, you know, content creators who are out there on the Internet. But you get to interact with them. And, you know, one minute uh, this guy is a voice in my earbuds. The next minute he's... He's uh, texting me at one in the morning for Blood Moons and Rakdos Charms. (laughs) (laughs) And insisting you encourage my wanting to play Master of Cruelties, which one more time, guys, never actually saw the battlefield. I'm going to kill Eric with it tonight in the game of Highlander just just because I can. Um, All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, Be sure to, you know, check out the podcast, subscribe. That was the door closing. Uh, Follow on Twitter, Ben Bateman Media. Follow the podcast at the MMCast. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah, my, my tournament went somewhat similarly. Me and the legacy player kind of failed. Our our standard player really knew what he was doing. I will say that our standard player, because the standard matches are so grindy in this format, he actually did have a couple of draws that were not intentional. <clears throat> but in a lot of matches, the legacy player and I would both lose before his match was done, and he would just you know either play it out or not. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is we, we played all eight matches because you go to a GP to play Magic. That's why you go. Yep. The promo is sweet. Foil Mutavault, it's a great yeah, promo. It is. It looks nice, too. Really nice. And that's one of those cards that I just I have to think that a Foil Mutavault long-term is probably going to keep its value. Seems yeah. Fun. And they had it on the they had it on a playmat there that I was like kind of eyeballing, but I didn't want to pay for like super mega package to get it. But Yeah, you know what one of my highlights about it. of the weekend actually was? Is I played a bunch of games of Highlander with Eric, and our friend True was selling a bunch of cards. His and, team did really well. Yeah, they did really well. They day two uh and they uh, they didn't do well on the second day, but they yeah they made day two, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, he was selling a bunch of cards, and I was going through the stack, and I was like, "Wow, you're selling all these expeditions!" And for the record, I don't own a single expedition. I wanted to. I bought packs, just hoping to crack one. I never opened a single yeah. one. I was just like, didn't want to pay the exorbitant amount of money that was required. Mm-hmm. And I was looking through his stuff, and he had these expedition filter lens, a flooded grove, and a graven cairns. Mm-hmm. And I play those as my Highlander decks because, like, of course you do. Like, yep. pro- you guys probably all play them in Commander decks, I'm assuming. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was like, how much are you selling these for? And he's like, the buy price on this one's, like, 20 and this one's around the same. He's like, 15 I was like, you're telling me that if I give you $35, I can have these? He's like, yeah. So I, I bought a, a, a two expeditions. I bought a Flooded Grove and a Graven Cairns for 35 bucks. There you go. Mint. You got the expeditions you've been waiting for. Well, I just couldn't believe it. How is it? How is it? There's no way long term that those lose value. Like it's impossible yeah. to imagine that a an expedition flooded grove will be worth less than twenty dollars. If it's, is it going to be worth ten bucks? That seems insane to me. Yeah, I agree. A lot of the Amonkhet ones were pretty low, but it was like you know medium cards. Yeah, I, well, mean, I guess there was a. St- I was surprised looking around at the vendors of the GP how cheap Stifle was, but I mean I don't think people like the invocations as much as they like the expeditions anyway. Well, because a third of them you just outright can't read. Yeah, like, that was a bad bad design choice. They, yeah. I mean, they're super sweet because they're unique, and so to that end, like I am into them. But yeah. I'm glad that they they went out on a limb and tried something out of the box. Totally, and my thing with Magic cards is that I think. Um, even though they're not the coolest, things that are scarce and unique in Magic tend to have like a place in people's hearts. Sure. So that's why you get weird things that aren't actually that cool, like the Guru Lands that are just kind of whatever that people like to have. I think they look really cool. I mean, they're cool-looking lands. I just they, mean they're not it's nice like, artwork on them. It's not the same thing as like a foil full art. Uh, yeah, you know, of course. 
Right. Like, but I'm just saying it's because they're odd. Pe- yeah. People, that's why people, I love seventh edition foils for that reason. Yeah. It's like one of my favorite sets to try to get foils from. Um, so anyway, but uh, that was a highlight. So, so yeah, the gameplay, it was fun, you know, got some games out of the way. Yeah. Um, would you play Tempo Geist again at a GP? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know what went wrong. And I, and I always try and like, you know, look back and see if there are places for me to improve or, you know, see if I just picked the wrong deck. The one thing I would have done is, um, and I, we were talking about this on the podcast. Alex was trying, uh, when I was on before the GP, Alex was uh, trying to encourage me to try out the Through the Breach. And because I didn't have a lot of time before the GP, I kind of just stuck to Geist um, because that was kind of the standard thing to do. And, um, and played, and so I didn't test much with Through the Breach. I tested with a little bit, decided I like Geist better, and then I just went with it. And that was what I did all my testing with before the GP. Um, but I played against a Blue Moon Through the Breach deck, which was not playing white, but they were playing uh, Blood Moon in the main. Yeah. Um, and I just got totally trashed by it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it felt like the guy was playing Splinter Twin because he's able to leave up a ton of mana on my turn. If I try and resolve a Geist, no way. I've got the remand. Yep. And if I just sit back and wait, he threw the breaches on the end of my turn. And then I have to like Cryptic Command or something. And then he untaps and does it again. And I'm like, all right, I... I guess there's Emrakul. <laughs> yeah, doing powerful things is sweet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I knew that theoretically the deck would be like Splinter Twin. Yeah. <clears throat> but when I playing against it, it really felt like it. And then in one of our games, I, you know, I was doing pretty well uh, in the game, and then I just got Blood Mooned instead. And then it took him a while to find a Through the Breach, but he had all the time in the world because I only had two blue sources. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just tough to fight through the Blood Moon. Jeskai's Resurgence right now has been really interesting to watch. Um, it's been probably about three months that it's really popped back up as a premier deck. Yeah. And I would I would very firmly at the moment call it Tier 1. Um, yeah. It's always fascinating to me. To I mean, Blue-White, to... which is not, you know, obviously it's got a different game plan, but it's not so yeah. different. I mean, got second place. So. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fascinating to pay attention to the trends because it's you can usually point to a single card as the reason there's an archetype that's become prominent. So like in the case of Geist uh, or either the Jeskai tempo decks or the Jeskai control decks, it's very clearly Spellqueller. It's the, yep. it's the prominence of Spellqueller and people's growing comfortability with playing that as a card that has, you know, really given people that confidence to play a card that it's not like any of us knew Spellcaller wasn't good, though, full disclosure, I actually think when we did our, uh, our Eldritch Moon spoilers, like, I think stupid me, not, I didn't, I don't think I'd put that on my top 10. I think I was outsmarting myself because I was like, oh, it's not gonna be that good in modern. Alex was like, it's very clearly number one. <laughs> yeah. Dead, 100% right. Just not even, not even a competition. I was like way off on that one, but. Well, um, Collective Brutality might be number one in Eldritch Moon, but it's a good set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a sweet set. Um, so... But yeah, I think that's really, really interesting to pay attention to, to watch, you know, as Jeskai's become this, this powerhouse deck again. And there's definitely different flavors of it, which I, which I really like. Yeah, I mean, having played Spellqueller against Storm, I definitely was able to appreciate how good that card is, because they don't play a lot of removal. It counters pretty much everything in their deck except Past in Flames. And the fact that they don't get to keep that card in their graveyard for when they do cast the Past in Flames, I mean, it was just, it was very hard for them to beat it. And like, multiple Spellquellers against a lot of decks, like if they don't have removal... It just beats them. Yeah, it ends the game. I mean, you wouldn't think a 2-3 flyer was that good, but it just it gets there. And you're playing enough burn in the deck. You know, people are taking 5 damage off their lands, and then they're taking 6 damage off a Spell Queller, and then you bolt them 3 times between bolts, helixes, and snapcasters in their deck. Yep, yep. 
Totally. Who would have thought life gains actually good? Um, so let's talk a little bit about the top four. I think, I think breaking down, do you have the top eight in front of you or just the top four? I have the top eight. Okay. Let's, let's, let's talk the full top eight. The, The top four, I would say is probably more interesting than the rest of the top eight. So, well, I guess eighth is lantern control. Sam black, right? Sam black. He is a fan of the deck. Um, it's a good deck. That deck's changed. It's it's definitely not the same deck it used to be, but it's it's really good. Um, yeah, War of Invention changed the game. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like seeing that pop up as a top eight deck at another Grand Prix makes me feel like we're probably moving closer and closer to that Mox Opal ban. I think it just well, feels kind of inevitable. It's not going to happen before the Pro Tour, and as announced recently by or reminded, you know, Mark yes. Roosevelt reminded us, yes. we're going to get a Pro Tour with no bannings. Yep. Uh, yeah, so the other the other uh, you know fifth through eighth decks are Affinity Affinity Eldrazi Tron. So okay. speaking of Mox Opal, <laughs> yeah, yep. I mean, Affinity's always a, it's a good Grand Prix deck. People like to play that at Grand Prix. Um, again, another reason that you and I both thought we were smart. Yeah, I mean, you you get free wins. Like any deck where you can get free wins at a Grand Prix is is a probably a good choice. That's the reason that I pick Jeskai Geist over, you know, I typically play Grixis Control uh, at like F&M and stuff. But, when but you're your playing, name is not Corey Burkhart, so you can't take it to a Grand Prix. For one thing, there's that, <laughs> yes. But even if it was well positioned, I feel like you won a deck where you can just get free wins off of a Geist of St. Traft or off of like a turn one cranial plating where you just kill them and there's nothing they can do. I mean, it it's very valuable to just have that potential. And Affinity has that potential even against its worst matchups, as we both saw at the Grand Prix on the, from the other side of the table. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so Eldrazi Tron, obviously a very good deck. I have gone on record many a time as saying that I believe Eldrazi Temple is a, is a banned target, but it hasn't been as prominent recently, so... I also lost to Eldrazi Tron at the Grand Prix. I was not incredibly surprised, but... <laughs> so yeah, it's a really good deck, and that card in particular is... You know, as I always say this, but like, Legacy gets Soul Lands. Modern's not supposed to have Soul Lands. That deck has Soul Lands, and they're not Soul Lands that are powering out mana rocks and stupid cards. They're powering out really powerful creatures. Yeah, they're powering out Reality Smasher and yeah, Thought Knot's here. Yeah. So turn two Thought Knot is like brutal. But um, so if that's the top, the bottom part of the top eight, let's get to the interesting part, the top four. So the 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 whole tournament was won by Dredge, correct? Oh, this Eldrazi Tron that made top eight doesn't have any Karns in it. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Not anywhere in the 75, unless I'm missing something. Yeah, no Karn. What does it look like it's playing instead? Well, they're playing two All is Dust, two Warping Whale Main, and two Mindstone. Oh, interesting. So they're they're trying to go a little more efficient, a little like lower CMC. Yeah, they're playing two All is Dust, which I think is like, I yeah. mean, it's Plague Wind in the deck that also kills whatever random enchantments are around, so that's really powerful. <laughs> But yeah, it's interesting to see zero Karn in even in the sideboard. I mean, I guess they're playing four Endbringer. I think is usually is high for the deck too, right? I mean, they typically play some number of Endbringer, but not four. Yeah, four is a lot. So I guess this person decided that they liked Endbringer better than Karn. Sam Party. So he's a he's a good player. He's a good player. Yeah. Um, interesting and, choice. And the multiple Warping Whale. I love Warping Whale. I'm like a big fan of that card. I think it's really sweet. Yeah, I'm trying to think what he would be metagaming against in particular. I mean, what what do you bring Warping Whale to the tournament expecting? I guess he's he's expecting to counter Scapeshift. Do you think that's it? I mean, um, you still just lose to a Primeval Titan most of the time, though. Yeah. Especially with no Karn to exile yeah, their lands. It's like fine against a lot of stuff. I, I mean, that card's fringe it's definitely played but it's definitely fringe um yeah. I don't know. i'm just thinking from a metagame perspective why 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 main deck you know like what's 
What do you expect to see that you're like Warping Whale is going to be a good choice? I, I know that it always does a little bit of something, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'm know. Just trying ca- to think ca- about it. Cattering serum visions. I don't, <laughs> it doesn't really like. I, I guess if that deck can like, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't know what that deck. Yeah, it'd be interesting. To... <laughs> Countering boom bust. <laughs> I don't know. Just thinking about things that I like to play. Um, yep. So so okay, if that's the Eldrazi Tron list. Let's talk about the decks that that were in the top four. So Dredge won the tournament. Um. <coughs> Which is funny, all things considered, because it feels like people are super on board with Graveyard Hate, which is why Tarmogoyf is less than $50 right now. Like, yeah, and, and Dredge top-aided the last one, so it was everybody knew that it was going to be around. It wasn't like it caught everybody by surprise. Do you think buying Goyfs right now is smart? Do you think it's a good time? I mean, they're cheaper than they've been in years, ever, I think, probably, since they initially were printed. Yeah. Or do you, I think, mean, do you think we're in like a, a seismic shift now where the overprinting combined with just a shift in the face of modern means we probably will never see a $150, $200 Goyf again? I don't know that we will ever see a $150, $200 Goyf. I do think that they're low and that there are good decks that play them. I, I mean, I think part of the main thing is just these. They, there's all these cards that are competing with Goyf, namely Gurmag Angler. Right. It's less susceptible to grave hate. I mean, it's somewhat susceptible to grave hate, but yep. you know, it it's not as susceptible as Goyf. Once it's on the battlefield, it's there. It's five five. Beat it, and it's typically bigger than Goyf is. Um, yeah, and destroying know. a graveyard screws up both. So it's like yeah, and you don't have to be playing like green to gain access to it. I mean, yeah, Death Shadow four color Death Shadow did top four, which we'll get to, but. Um, yeah, I mean, not having to play green in your Jun deck and getting access to card filtering and counter spells instead of green, which gets you basically just Tarmogoyf <laughs> and Abrupt Decay, I guess. But, I mean, puts Death Shadow over Jund in a lot of situations, I think, having access to the flexible blue cards. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. I, I've thought about that a lot recently, cards to buy. Um, so, all right, so Dredge gets the win, uh, and it's a pretty stock Dredge list. I looked at this. I looked at these lists when I uh, left the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, Dredge, always a contender, just like Storm, to just like get a top eight. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised to not see Storm in the top eight. I mean, people were really high on it going into the tournament. People also really were prepared for it, though. It That's was a true. big deck. People did not want to... But you know what's funny Storm. is like... What beats Storm? I mean, I think the best sideboard cards against Storm are Graveyard Hate. And somehow, Storm is kept out of the top eight, but not Dredge. But not Dredge, yeah. Dredge is faster. A fast a fast Dredge start is an insanely fast... Like, it's true. Like, a fast Dredge start requires you to have, basically, Spellbomb or Relic. Yeah, or, you have to have the Grave Hate to beat it. Yeah, I mean, if, if they get the right start. But, like, he could have... That, that Dredge player could have drawn exceptionally well. Also, we don't have the specific record of this player in front of us, so his teammates could have done awesome. That's true. We don't know. That's why, it's why this, this information is a little deceptive. I think Team Trios is cool. I much prefer Team Unified. I think it's, like, yeah. a lot more interesting. And I also don't think there's very many people that want to play Standard right now. I wish yeah, well, I think that when this was scheduled, that was not something that Wizards had predicted. Well, I don't think I ever anticipate that. Yeah. I, I just wish... I wish that Modern was continuing to be pushed even a little harder because it does seem to be the format that people want to play right now. Yeah, there's a really, Pro Tour coming up, right? Yeah, which I'm really excited for. Yeah, that'll be cool. So, um, all right, then in the, the other top decks, I believe second place we had was Blue White. Mm-hmm. That's Vidi. That's uh, one of our friends, mm-hmm. a local guy. A really good player. Photographic memory. Um, he remembers exact gameplays from like every match he plays in a day. Like, yeah. I've had conversations with him. It's pretty, pretty wild. Um, Blue white deck, two ruined halo in the main deck. Big fan of that. 
Uh, right? Am I making I'm that up? I'm seeing one Rune oh, Halo. Really? One Rune Halo main, one Rune Halo side. Okay, sweet. Well, <laughs> either way, he's playing main deck Rune Halo, which I think is yeah, sick. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I believe the reason that's in there is a hedge against Scapeshift. I think it's the biggest reason. You can just name Valakut. Yeah, well, it does, it does a lot. I mean, just looking at the other decks in the top eight, it's obviously good against Scapeshift. You can... You, um, you know, Shadow, name. It's pretty good. You can name Conflagrate against Dredge. You can name um, Death Shadow against Death Shadow or yep. Angler. I mean, whatever is giving you trouble. And because they're playing so few threats, if they're just like drawing multiples of Death Shadow. Yep. Um, you know, I guess it doesn't do much against Affinity. It's excellent against that champion. It is. It's you can name Codex Shredder with it against Lantern, and yeah. it's something that they might not necessarily see coming, so they might let you have it. Yep. <laughs> can. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, it's it's good. It's good. Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I like Renilla. He's playing as a one of. I I think there's probably. I I talked about this a little bit on ten minutes last week, but um, I wonder a little bit if there's a build around me for Rune Taylor deck in modern. Like, is there a place to? Is there is there something you can do with that where you're flickering it or you're taking advantage of playing multiples? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've seen some of the like Enduring Ideal or the Idyllic Tutor decks that are playing like Solemnity now. I feel like I've seen some of them with like four Ruined Halo. It just seems but to none me of those that have really broken out into the mainstream. What I like about it is that if you're playing four of them and any way to reset them, your ability early in the game to just be like, okay, so you play a threat and I just play this Ruined Halo. And yeah. then I'll just keep drawing, and now your threat's irrelevant, and I don't have to deal with it. Because yeah. I just did this thing, and it permanently dealt with this, and any other copies you draw. Um, because there's not very many things that anyone's playing in the main deck in Modern that can kill it. I mean, basically, yeah, I mean, and also, you know, uh, in this blue-white deck, we've also got two Gideon of the Trials. So, you know, Sweet. let's say you're playing against Death Shadow. They've got a Death Shadow on board. They've got a Gurmag Angler on board. They've got them both. And you get into the trials targets angler, and you have Rune Halo naming Death Shadow, and yep. there's not really any easy way for them to deal with that. I mean, they they're not really playing very many threats, and it's just like between Gideon and Rune Halo, you can just lock them out of doing anything. It's funny that over time we've just sort of slowly but surely seen that we actually have control decks in modern. Like we didn't have control decks for a long time, yeah, and that's nice. Seems like we actually have control decks. Now. And even when, even at a time where Thoughtseize is very popular, and these big mana decks that are yeah. hard for control to to beat Valakut or hard for them to beat Karn Liberated or whatever, we're still seeing successful control decks. It's nice. Totally. Um, next up on the list in the top three, we've top four. We've got these this Mardu Pyromancer deck, um, which is totally interesting. One of the highlights of the tournament, I think, is that this deck did well. I played a Mardu, Mardu Pyromancer deck at a local tournament, like, I don't know, a month and a half ago. Built my own version based on what I had at home. Took it to the tournament. Um, did not do very well with it. Didn't think it was very good. Was only playing one Bedlam Reveler. This guy's playing four Pyromancer, four Reveler. It's his only yeah. creatures. Yeah. Aside from, he's playing Souls, right? Four Lingering Souls, yeah. It's actually the only white card in the main deck, and the only other white cards are Wear Tear and Combal. So basically, this is black red pyromancer, but you got to have lingering souls. Yeah, I, you know my big surprise with this deck, and I've said this to you guys a lot, is that I don't know how you play that deck without playing at least one or two copies of Smuggler's Copter. It just seems like such a no-brainer. If you're going to play this deck and you're going to have lingering souls in the deck, it plays so well with lingering souls. It plays so well with pyromancer tokens. Uh, the fact you don't want to attack with your pyromancer a lot of the time. Being able to just tap it, just get value, it just seems so good. Yeah, I mean, stocking your graveyard with, you know, extra Faithless Lootings or extra Lingering Souls that you can flash back or, um, you know, dumping 
cards you can redraw up with Bedlam Reveler or whatever. Dumping a card to make your Reveler cheaper that turn. Like, yeah. just it just does a lot. So I'm very surprised about that. Um, any other highlights you see there? Anything in the sideboard that really jumps out? It's not like well, this is a deck, really. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If, after this, people are definitely going to be trying it. Yeah. One Blood Moon in the main, I think, is interesting. I mean, I think Blood Moon is very well positioned as I experienced in the tournament. Bloodman's um, very good. Yeah, I mean, against all these Jeskai decks, it's not super great against Blue-White, although the Blue-White deck is playing four Colonnade and two Azcanta, uh, and four Field of Ruin, I believe. So you you shut off all of that if any of those things are going to give you problems. Yep. Um, and then... Remind me again, what is Field of Ruin? Am I just blanking? Field of Ruin is like the... Uh, it's from Ixalan. It's uh, taps for a colorless, comes in untapped. You can pay two, tap Sacrifice... Uh, you basically ghost quarter one of their lands, except you also search for a basic. Oh, oh, I know this card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize the name of it. Field of Ruin. I remember this card. Yeah, yeah. this card's sweet. Um, but yeah, so Bl- Blood Moon, I mean, I guess if you're playing Blood Moon, Field of Ruin is probably not particularly relevant against you. But as Kanta is certainly relevant, and Celestial Colonnade is, you know, one of the only ways they actually have to close out the game. So you can kind of prolong the game until you can draw into more Bedlam Revelers or whatever. They're playing like one Gideon, I think. Two Gideons, maybe. Well, the Trials, but then they're like one Gideon Jura, right? Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah. And Architect of Thought will probably beat you too. But I don't know. I mean, one Blood Moon isn't irrelevant against Jeskai, but then it's also great against Eldrazi Tron. Shuts off all of their yeah. soul lands as well as Tron lands. It's good against uh, all the Jeskai decks we were talking about because it shuts off. It makes them hard for them to cast their spells. Great against Scape Shift. Uh, you know, good against Affinity because it shuts off all of their creature lands. Um, yeah, it's just well positioned. And so this person, despite playing a three color deck, was playing one main. Blood Moon's just like epically good. I've been, I, I always like, every, anytime I'm building a deck and it has red in it, I always get to a point where I'm like, huh, I wonder if I can just play main deck Blood Moon. Because, like, yeah. <laughs> I just think playing main deck Blood Moon modern is a good way to get free wins. Um, and even playing three colors, it's. It's good enough that you just play it. <laughs> so we had Pyromancer, we had Dredge, we had Blue White, and finally, what was the fourth deck in the top? Four one? Color Death Shadow. Oh yeah, 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 Four Color Death Shadow. Right, right, right. And that's that's so they can play the Nathan green. Holiday on Four. Color so they can Death play Shadow. green for Traverse and right. They're playing two Grim Flare, four Tarmogoyf. So this is more like the Jun Death Shadow that yeah. we saw like right when Death Shadow kind of broke out back in the spring. Yeah, so it's got four Traverse the Ulvenwald, four Tarmogoy, four Grimflare as the green cards in the main deck. And then it looks like Jund main deck, but it's playing Eidolon of Rhetoric, one Renegade Rallier, one Ranger of Eos in the sideboard as white card. Yeah, the Ranger of Eos is really sick. I mean, in a grindy matchup, if you can if you can stick that card and just get, get two, two Death, Death Shadows, Shadows how yeah. are they going to beat that? Yeah, it seems really powerful. Like, if your opponent is just looking to one-for-one one you with removal, in Death Shadow... Uh, you know, when I was playing Jeskai against Death Shadow and testing, um, that's a deck you have to be prepared for, um, it, the game came down to a top-ticking war a lot because they thought sees me, they play out their threats, I have removal for their threats yeah. because I'm playing a deck full of removal, and then eventually we're both, just both kind of top-decking. We both have card selection, so I'm Serum Visioning here, they're thought-scouring there, but at the end of the day, it's just who's top, who top-decks better. And if you have Ranger of Eos in your deck in that type of situation, there's no deck. way for me to out-top deck that card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's insane. I, I mean, it creates, it creates uh, what, like, at best case scenario, it's creating, like, 29 power or something like that? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, so, something crazy like that. Um, so, all right. So that's that's pretty much the top four. Was this version playing Team or Battle Rage or no? Yep, there are three Team or Battle Rage in the main. Yeah, that's really important because you don't just get, like, shunt-blocked. 
Yeah, it seems like a sweet top eight. Yeah, no, no anglers. So we were just saying that angler is kind of pushing Tarmogoyf out of the metagame a little bit and making that's the reason it's so cheap. But you know, this uh, Nathan Holiday decided to play four Tarmogoyf, zero Grimmig angler. Interesting. But they're playing the Mishra's Bobble, so they can actually get their Goyf up to a 5-6. I wonder if this is the way to metagame against Grixis Death Shadow. Angler and, and, and Tassiger. Yeah, because if your opponent is playing Anglers and Tassigers as their main threat, then you've got a 5-6 Tarmogoyf because you're playing four Mishra's Bobble. Just play, just play Mirror Superior. Yeah, um, also a 5-6. Yeah, it's one of the reasons that card was sweet when I played it a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's the results from the GP. Um, as I said, I wish that I had more fun you know, things to talk to you guys about as far as my matches went. But overall, uh, I will not be revisiting uh, Gutter, Gutter Trace or whatever I want to call that deck. It doesn't, didn't, have the, didn't have the meat necessary to really push it. If something gets printed that, that reminds me of it, maybe I'll revisit it someday. But for now... It's not good. I am working on a, a weird new brew that I'll talk a little bit about here uh, for just a quick second, and it's because I've seen people posting about Glorious End a lot recently, so it actually got me thinking about the main <laughs> question that it got me pondering was, okay, if you're going to play in one of these like stifle the trigger type of decks, um, how far... So let's, let's pretend in modern you're playing a deck with four Pact of Negation in the main deck, okay? If you're playing four Angel's Grace and four Trickbind in your deck, how far from Force of Will is Pact of Negation in your deck at that point? Because in a Force of Will deck in Legacy, you still need to have a blue card. It costs you a life, but you do it all at once and there's no drawback later in the turn. But you, it still costs you two cards, and you still have to have a blue card. So Pact of Negation is also a free counterspell. Um... All you have to make sure is that you have one of those cards in your hand for your next upkeep to stifle the trigger or make it so you don't lose. So it ends up being a two yeah, for and, one. And both Trickbind and Angel's Grace have split seconds, so, so you don't have to worry about it getting countered or anything like being that. Being interacted with. So it's obviously not anywhere near as good as Force of Will. But it did get me thinking, what is there in modern that would use that would like employ this? And so that's where I started thinking, like, all right, I mean obviously Pact of the Titan is pretty sweet if you if you do like turn one Pact of the Titan end of turn and then you have Angel's Grace in hand to stifle the trigger like you got a four four on turn one cost four four stay in play with Pact of the Titan yeah well, that's interesting you just okay. get a four four Titan um, the other thing I started thinking about was Snapcaster Mage with Pact seems really sweet um, yeah I love the idea of being able to Snapcaster a you know Pact of Negation or Pact of the Titan, and so what it got me thinking about was, is there a deck you can build that's like, instead of being combo-y, where people go with this, people like to combo, like, hive mind decks. Mm -hmm. Or, like, ad nauseum. Yeah, I started thinking, like, is there a tempo version of this deck that's playing, like, I was thinking, what's the best one drop? And it feels like in this deck, there's a lot of spells, so probably Delver's pretty good. Um, if you sure. Can. Sorry, I keep hitting your foot here. It goes yeah, well I, with Snapcaster as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Delver seems like a sweet one. I was thinking, you know, so I put a list together... In, in the, the sample hands I was drawing, it felt a little weak on turn one, like you needed another threat. So I was like, do you play Step Links? Do you play maybe Goblin Guide? But one of the advantages to playing Trick Bind in your deck, and those that don't remember what Trick Bind does, it's one blue, one colorless for an instant with Split Second, which was a weird ability from Time Sparrow Block that states, um, until the spell resolves, players can't activate... Yeah, while this spell is on the stack. Yeah, yeah, they can't activate activated abilities uh, or play spells unless they're mana abilities. Um, it can still get countered by a Chalice of the Void, I think. I think yeah, because that's a triggered ability. Yeah, but it can't be interacted with. So you have the ability with Trickbind, most interestingly, to have a split-second stifle, 
which means that in modern, if you play Delver, Delver flips, and your opponent tries to crack a fetch land, you have instant speed Stone Rain that can't be countered. Which yeah, is- I mean, in, in Legacy, Stifle is like a staple in these Delver-type decks that are looking to kind of play a turn one Delver and then press their advantage using cards like Force of Will and Stifle. And so uh, making sure their opponent can't deal with the Delver because they have n- no mana. So it, I don't think this is... Like, don't don't hear me and go buy the cards to build this because I don't think this is good. I think it's fringe fun, and I some of the sample hands I was testing out got me excited to at least like maybe try building it and try it out at a local event. But what it feels like right now is that you're just drawing the wrong half of the deck too much of the time. Yeah, um, too many angels' graces is not going to get you very far. Yeah, but so I did start to try to think like what what could you put in here that would push this in the right direction? Because um, I do really like the idea of being able to like. Snapcaster a Pact of the Titan or something end of turn if you sure. have the backup for it. Like, it's six power for two mana. Yeah. I, I don't know if Pact of the Titan is the way to go in this deck, though. I mean, you're already putting a little bit of pressure on your trick binds with with Glorious End and, and Pact of Negation, right? Well, so I, in the version that I ended up building, I actually ended up cutting Glorious End. Okay, okay. You, d- you decided the Pact of the Titan was worth it more than Glorious End. Well, the Pact of the Titan plays really nicely into your tempo plan, because it gives you a 4-4 four, four on turn 1. That's true. I just am not sure that I like the idea of 2 for one myself to get a 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, agreed. It does seem a little weak, so uh, it would have to be in the context of, like, your deck would have to be doing something a little bit better than what we're talking about to justify doing that. Sure. But I do love the idea of your Snapcaster Mages in the middle of the game being like, you know what, I can just end of turn get six power. Like, that works. I thought about playing Geist in here, because the other cards that you can consider are obviously getting of the Trials is strong in a deck like this. Mm-hmm. Um, making it so you can't lose the game with an emblem is very good. Yep. Um, Sundial of the Infinite has interesting things going, because you can end the turn for a mana. Yeah, you don't really want to end the turn of your upkeep for a Pact, though. But if you're playing Glorious, then Sundial's good. Yes, and because... Sundial is also good with Geist, you can keep the Angel. Yeah, so all of those are kind of ideas, but they all start to feel like if you end your turn, you can't attack, so Sundial's bad. And if yep. you... Geist, it means you're not getting your threat until turn three, which doesn't seem good either. So, yeah. if you're two for winning yourself to put a four four in on turn one, you really want to be winning as soon as possible. Yes. So the thing I like about this deck is I love so I so the card that I gravitated towards in the end was was Icecron Scepter. That was where that was where I started to take the idea, and okay. I thought was pretty interesting because I was like, you know, if you scepter, if you put like Trickbind or Angel's Grace on an Isochron Scepter. Mm-hmm. And you're playing a deck full of like packed indigations and snapcaster mages and like cheap creatures, that does seem like you might set yourself up to just win the game. Like it just seems like you at the very least will just like press your advantage, press your advantage, interact, interact, and then like your opponent will sit there being like, I don't have a way to interact with your Ice Crown Scepter to stop yeah. you from and- and sometimes just Angel's Grace on Icecron Scepter, even if you're behind, will, can just keep you alive Forever. enough turns to draw something. Exactly. And so that's like that was like where I gravitated towards. What I liked about it is that everybody knows that with Isochron Scepter, you don't ever want to put something on a Scepter on turn two because if it gets destroyed, you're just two for one yourself. Yeah. But let's be honest. What do people play in modern in the main deck that's going to deal with an Isochron Scepter so anyway? The only thing I can really think of is Coligan's Command. And Abrupt Decay. Those are the two cards. Yep. And Abrupt Decay, because of the rise of... Grixis and kind of the fall of Jund. Not not the fall, right? Like, people still play Jund and people still play Abzan, but because Death Shadow is in the metagame occupying a similar space, we're seeing people move away from those decks and towards Death Shadow, 
It means you're seeing less abrupt decays. Yeah. But they both play cold against command typically, although they're shaving it, I think, recently. Definitely. And you look, we're playing a deck with Delver of Secrets and Isochron Scepter. We must be insane in the Colagons command environment. That sounds like such a blowout. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I, I did draw some sample hands where it was like either a, a Delver on turn <laughs> one in a spell with 28 spells or a Pact of the Titan on turn one backed up with like scepter or pact mitigation and an angel's grace or something yeah and, I mean, if, and if they're spending three mana and you're able to counter their three mana spell with a pact of negation and just hit them like you know they're probably spending their whole turn to play that Coligan's command that might just do nothing if you have the pact exactly because the other thing about this that i liked so much is that because most of your spells cost nothing you're basically a white red deck you 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 or i'm sorry i'm sorry you're basically a blue white deck sure you're barely a red deck um, How much does Pact, co- Pact of the Titan cost to pay for? Five. R- Three red, red? red? Uh, no, red four. Okay, so even if you just splashed a little bit of red, you could theoretically pay for it in the late game. And so the, the most interesting thought I had is this this is a three Blood Moon deck because you can just do all of this interesting stuff in the first two turns for very little to no mana, slam a Blood Moon once you've you know two for one yourself and, and resolve the Delver and... Against some decks, that's going to be game over. Yeah, and because the, the, at least the main deck cards that are going to kill your Ice Crown Scepter are multicolored, your opponent's probably playing three colors if they have them in their deck, and Blood Moon's just going to make it so they might not even be able to cast or up Decay. Yeah, so my plan is to sleeve up a proxied version of this and take it to a local shop and test some games. It seems really fun. It yeah. seems like it has some cool, some cool angles, and it's probably bad. I think Opt, instead of Serum Visions, is probably smarter, because most everything you're doing other than attacking is on your opponent's turn. Sure. Um, but I could be wrong. Serum Visions digs deeper, so it sets up Delver better too, because you can with yeah. the Scry two, you can make you can put both cards on top, and then you'll like, yeah. yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's my uh, most recent brew idea. Don't go crazy, as we all saw what happened with Gutter Trace. Let me play some games first and see if it's any good before you guys. Uh, but tweet at me, you know, and let me know if you think that sounds cool. Some of you guys have been calling out on Anchor talking about it. I've been talking the last couple of days. About Reminds me that. a little bit of the Ninja Bear Delver. Yes. Um, that Travis Wu uh, mono blue. Tricky, um, kind of. What was the card? Disrupting Shoal. Yeah. That was his force of will. Yes. And I like I like that deck. That deck yeah. was sweet. And, and I, you know, it's interesting because I don't think that Disrupting Shoal is significantly better than Pact with Angel's Grace. Right? I mean, you need a specific CMC of card to counter their card. And I also think that, like... Similar to just needing a specific Angel's Grace or Trick Bind for well, your Pact. So it's, I'm also imagining scenarios where, like... I have Pact of the Titan, Trickbind, and Angel's Grace in my opening hand, and I, like, end of turn... I get imagining, like... I'm just, like, imagining situations where you're like, all right, so I'll, I'll you know, play this, I'll get my 4-4, four, four, and then, you know, I'll pay my pay my um, Angel's Grace to keep my 4-4, four, four, right? Your opponent does something. And then the next turn, they try to crack a fetch, and you Trickbind them, and, like, I'm imagining situations where you're like, all right, well, now I have a threat, and I've just stone-rained you. And unless you have another fetch to fix your colors, I might just get 12 points here. Yeah. Because a lot of decks have very fragile mana bases. Yeah. Same can be said for Blood Moon. So anyway, that's my thought, guys. Uh, we'll move on from that now, as we took eight minutes to talk about a shenanigans brew. Alex is not here to police me away from it, so I run the show today. Um, <laughs> otherwise, anything else exciting happening in the magic modern world this last week? Um, any super sweet spoilers? We talked about... Uncommon Lords already. Um, Uncommon Lords are certainly exciting. Give me a second to open this spoiler, see if there's anything that catches my eye. Yeah, I was trying to think if there was any other uh, 
really epic spoilers that came out. Uh, Merfolk just keep getting sweeter. That's definitely a fun thing. Oh, yeah. There's like a lot of good Merfolk. I mean, we haven't really seen Merfolk printed in this quantity since Lorwyn. And yeah. if you look at the modern Merfolk deck, it's uh, got a lot of Lorwyn cards in it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the blue-green Lord's obviously very good. You know, I definitely think that the... I like the green Merfolk, the 2-2 two, two for 3 that gives you a 1-1 one, one with Hexproof. I think two bodies for 3 mana, one of which is difficult to interact with, seems quite good. Um, probably not good enough for Modern Merfolk. I just like that card. Well, I don't know. I mean, if it ends up moving in a more collected company direction, you're looking for powerful 3s. Yep. And it's good with Kumena, because just Kumena and that card can draw you a card. Yep. Right, off of a collected company or something. There's also like that 3 mana enchantment that whenever you play a Merfolk spell, you get a 1-1 one, one with Hexproof. Yeah, um, these are much more in the sort of mid-range environment. They're kind of more standard. Oh, Blood Sun! Did you talk about Blood Sun on the podcast? No, no, no. That's been spoiled since last week. Oh yeah, that's a real nice one. Yeah, yeah. Red two enchantment when it enters the battlefield, draw a card and uh, activated abilities that aren't mana abilities. What is it? All lands lose all abilities except mana abilities. Yeah, right. So fetches become useless. Yeah, so the, I'm, I'm seeing, uh, the, the most hype that I'm seeing about this online is people think that r this might be the return of red-green Tron over black-green or mono-green, because you can play this, and all of your lands, um, you know, your Tron lands and whatever else, are those are just mana abilities, even though they're not yeah. basic mana abilities, they're, they only produce mana, so they're mana abilities, but your opponent's ghost quarters and fields of ruin and you know, tectonic edges or whatever, those are not mana abilities. Right. So you're able to turn off your opponent's hate cards while maintaining your oodles of mana. So it's kind of an interesting idea. It also turns off your opponent's fetches, because that is a deck that does not play fetches generally. Which is more relevant in some ways than Blood Moon, because fetches become mountains in Blood Moon decks, and that still is something. Yeah, um, you can still tap it for yeah. an amount of mana. Yeah, so, yeah, Blood, Blood Sun is super relevant. Uh, there's, I've, I've seen a lot of people theorizing that this, this means Blood Moon will be getting banned at some point um, because this card will replace it, but we'll see. Um, anyway, I think that's, that's, you, that you're right. That is the biggest piece of news. It sounds like for spoilers, you know, Alex and I will do a full review episode soon, so we'll hold off. Um, I'm going to be going to pre-release this weekend. I'm excited. Are you? I am going to pre-release. I'm going to pre-release on Sunday. Sweet. Um, otherwise, guys, I think that's going to wrap us up this week. Thank you for listening to the episode. Alex and I will be back with some modern goodness next week. We have some really fun 2018 plans that involve video. So you guys are going to start seeing what we look like sooner than later. Uh, thank you to all of you that introduced yourself, by the way, at the GP. Um, as it always happens at these things, because nobody has any idea what we look like. Uh, I was recognized by my voice more than anything else. But that's always exciting. And it was really great to meet you guys that, that did say hello. So um, nice, to, nice to meet you guys if you're hearing this. And uh, otherwise, you can't find Michael because he's a creature of the night. But you can find me at Ben Bateman Media. You can find us on Twitter at the MMCast. You can listen to the show at collected.company alongside the command zone. And as always, guys, please check out 10 Minutes of Modern on Anchor, daily modern content every single day. Michael, thank you for stopping by and co-hosting the show today. No problem. It was a pleasure is mine. Absolutely. We'll talk to you guys soon.